All right, y'all, welcome to another fun-filled edition of FM Mission, the podcast for people on a mission in arts, entrepreneurship, or activism. Uh, Today's episode is about overcoming, because if you have any dream or goal in life that that is big, you're going to have to overcome a lot, and I was sitting with my friend Jim here the other day, and he was telling his story of coming to recovery, been four years in recovery now. Right? Absolutely. An active recovery, right? Yeah, four years and some change. But you have a story that is mind-blowing. But you had a piece about you. And so I said, you know, you, you, when, and you tell me your story, you realize you'd overcome so much and found peace. You seem to truly have that. That's what I want to talk about. I said, so maybe some of your wisdom can be passed down for overcoming whatever life seems to present you with. It's one of the things I, I liked about your idea of some of the things that changed in you. So when we talk about you know, being an architect of adversity, right? Like you, there, there's overcoming, it encompasses so much more than just, say, say my own issue, uh, it manifested in drug addiction. But a, a byproduct, like the, the overcoming process happened as a, as a small person, you know, the product of divorce. There, there was some domestic violence in the home, some abuses from some stepfather-like people, and so from a very young age, myself and so many people like me have just, they've either risen to the occasion and got out of the trap that is environmental, socioeconomic imprisonment. Uh, it's not really taught, you know, how to climb out, how, how to lean into the, the mess and, and and really get to the other side of it. And that's just about overcoming. When we're doing it, just you will have to overcome a lot to get to the other side of it. And to uh, I, I want to share a little bit of your story and then have you kind of tell how you got here today. Like, so you're up four years, right? Yes. And yeah. so, and, uh, knowing so many people have been through addiction and different things, that I uh, it means so much. I think if you can overcome some, that's overcoming the odds in general. From the outside looking in. Uh, life started in a very lower class situation. Uh, I, I was born, and ultimately we, we left the state and went live with my grandparents. And uh, they, they supported us. And then the, my parents divorced when I was five. Fast forward through that. So after the divorce, uh, then, then I started having some feelings like, well, my, my parents separated... It must be my fault. What's wrong with me? And I watched the trials and tribulations that each of my parents individually had to face, and and they were essentially the black sheep of their families. So in the United States, like everyone seems to be keeping up with the Joneses, and my parents were kind of stuck in that trap. You know, they looked at what they didn't have, they looked at what their family had, and it started a process of resentment and bitter and I could be just like them or I could strive for something more at that point in time I had no idea what that looked like I know at, at that point in time uh, I was a husky boy I got to wear special pants back in those days called husky and so something was different about me there and that constant feeling of not measuring up like it forced me to become a chameleon and not really knowing my own identity. And I, I just, uh, 
I wore a lot of masks for a lot of years. So I go through school, and one of the only ways to gain approval in my household really was making good grades. That that was that was a, one of the first uh, level the playing field scenarios that I had. I know when I made good grades, I got accolades and attaboys from the parents, pats on the back, the grandparents gave me cash, that kind of deal. So I thought if I was good enough at something, I would be okay. And ultimately, uh, I made great grades until sophomore year of high school and then uh, fast women uh, partying that kind of thing was the was the scene and I chose that that led me away from anything air quote good there were no more attaboys for skipping school and making subpar grades and ultimately, I, I went in a route. I started associating with people that uh, were just like me. Little different walks, but we were all we all had something to prove. And so we run the streets, and we were big, tough guys, and we we lied, pillaged, and stole our way through life for many years. And it, so having a good time and partying in my household growing up, you know, was synonymous with drinking and drugs. Going to bars, going here, there, and everywhere, motorcycles, rock and roll, like that that was what fun was. And anytime you did any of those things, you were under the influence of a substance. So that's what I did. I, I literally replicated what I was trained, what I saw. Got a little older wanted to wanted to get out of the shadow of my parents but at that point in time I was going about it in a way that made it impossible selling drugs didn't work for me I, w- I would rather do drugs and I did fast forward some more I, I mean I met the love of my life at 15 years old and uh, drug her through hell and, and for a lot of it in the beginning she was ignorant to the fact you know I lied uh, I, I didn't want to show anyone the darkness, so I, it, it had to be hidden. It was a secret. I kept it from everyone, or thought I did. Progressed some years. One day, I got a crazy phone call from the Indiana State Police, and they, they let me know that my dad had been killed. He was murdered, and his body was dumped a county, a couple counties away. And that was the situation that empowered me to destroy my life. That gave me the perfect excuse Um to run off the rails. I think in overcoming, it is like the old saying, any excuse will do, pick one. You write it, you know, that story you tell right there you know, about your father being murdered, that's an easy way to be bitter and resentful like you're talking about, and it's an excuse. You're still responsible for yourself, but right, excuses are part of overcoming. Excuses are kind of like opinions, and I had a million of them. And I, I, I picked one, I picked a lot of them. And I, like I said, that empowered me to make a bunch of reckless, silly decisions that ultimately led me to near destruction. Um, you say near destruction, tell a little bit of your story of what you mean near destruction. One that sticks with me is you getting a needle in a trash can out, oh, right? That was the very last time I got high. Uh, I was at a, I, I had, had some situations, uh, some early introductions to 12-step fellowships, 
in and out, in and out, relapse, just wasn't willing to get uh, rigorously honest. And ultimately, it led to my chronic relapse over and over and over again for many years. And uh, the very last time I got high, I was at a local recovery club in the back alley of it. It was a safe place. I knew I could go there and use without attention from law enforcement. But I only had uh, I only had a limited amount of supplies, so I literally I used the lid of a large monster can as a spoon. And I used someone's half-drunken water I got out of the trash can. And that's literally the supplies I used to get my last fix before I got clean. And the idea of overcoming, and we all know tons of friends who aren't on this earth anymore, let alone in prison, right? I mean, all the guys, the whole recovery crew that we've talked about sitting around this table here have seen it, what it can do to families, right, to people. How do you overcome that? Right? There's people out there listening that are praying tonight that their kids will get better, that they'll get better, right? I mean, you know, and then there are, you know, those that just, again, take the inspiration because it is, it's hard. It's really hard once it gets you, right? Hardest move I've ever made. And so the beautiful part about it is, is, is there's no really, there's no real monopoly on recovery. Now, I know the way that worked for me, and that happened to be a 12-step fellowship. But there are so many other means to get clean. The, the, the best thing you can do, there's a million resources. There's 1-800 numbers. Google, you, you can find help in a pinch. You know, if you hear this and you're at the end of your rope and you want to die or get high, there's a way out. What do you think the way out? When you said, because again, that's the magic ticket, right? If you could guarantee people you could get them the way out. I mean, you'd have millions who need want the help, not just need it, right? I mean, the help is for the people that want it, not the ones that need it. But so, the first move for me was was calling a one eight hundred number, getting in touch with a treatment center. I was very fortunate, and I had insurance, and it was private pay insurance. But there are a million programs out there today that'll take you if you have uh, your state funded insurance. There are places that offer free services if, if you want to get on a waiting list. And, and, and people say, you know, I'm dying right now. And you some when you say I'm dying right now, you just, you you're, you need a fix because you feel sick, right? Because you don't have it. So I'm dying right now. You know, I, I don't know a way to not get high. So if I'm free, if I, if I'm on my own power and I'm given a choice to go to treatment or to get high. I need to be able to go to treatment and get in that day. If I go and they run insurance and I ultimately say, well, we can't get you in right now or there's a waiting list, that is a whole lot of time where I can go out and pick up one more and that one more kills me. You know, I, I was a, an IV heroin user. They're, the drugs, you name it. But there are drugs on the streets right now that are killing people one time. You use it one time and you don't wake up. You use it one time, and you end up in a nursing home for the rest of your life as a person that's essentially a vegetable. And and that's a callous word, but essentially non-responsive, can't function for yourself. A a dear friend of mine recently passed of a blood infection that he picked up from, from one move. You know, he went out there, did some funky shit, got it in his blood, and ultimately that infection killed him. And it was a, it was a brutal death. Yeah. So yeah, so we know that end of the, the story so much, but uh, 
one where somebody says, yeah, I've overcome right, I'm four years clean now. Right, that that's uh, again, like I said, the the million dollar formula. If you get, how did you do that? Like, where did you start to overcome? And you've shared your story with me. Again, just to give you, an idea, I think your story of your father and how he was murdered, right? And your last time of doing it gives a good context of probably a long, crazy story. But to go from that to clean and have but not resentful all these things, we tell why I want to do this with you. How do you start getting better? Because again, knowing what I know of addiction myself and people just in general it's a long road it's a long road and it starts in, in a few places you know there are people that can that can honestly say that jail saved their life that prevented them from one more there it are, did me there are other people that can say I went to treatment and it saved my life there are other people that said I found a person that believed in me and, and, and stuck by me when I was withdrawing and, and, and helped me along the way and took me to a meeting and saved their life so I, I can't say that I have a monopoly on it I just know what it took for me is I had to distance myself from home base I had I had to make myself a stranger essentially and get really really insecure and not willing to step out on the ledge and, and on my home turf I was willing to roll the dice on a regular basis whether it was crimes committed or the drugs I used or the people I took advantage of it, it made it relatively easy so when I took myself out of the equation and put myself in a strange land and around a bunch of strange people, it, it made it a lot harder to roll those dice. So then the next indicated step for me at that point was complete a program. And then go to go to a meeting of some kind. And then it was get a sponsor. And then it was... So it wasn't like I had to come up with some grand scheme to get clean. It was show up. And, and the process will reveal itself. And ultimately, we talk about overcoming, right? That's anything. Like I said, one reason I thought this relates to so many things in life is one of the coolest things we'd heard lately about the market was an appreciation for the patience we've had and waiting for it to build. And uh, after Johnny said that, another friend of mine told me this the other day. That he really said, he said, the patience that you guys have shown down there is amazing. And it, uh, you know, it's really hard to overcome no matter what you're doing. Like, you know, you got to have the patience to make it right. right? You know, you're talking, all the things you're talking about is coming at it from that perspective. I want to get better. We can't overcome anything if we don't show up. If I put my head in the sand, I run from the problem, I run from the fear of the unknown, I run from this huge idea... I can my, my brain can, can short circuit and literally shut itself down. Make me not even willing to attempt it for the fear of failure. Why do you think addiction uh, is such a great substitute for what you're talking about, which is a great human trait, right? Like the, the desire to really do and create something. But so many people fill that with addiction. And you kind of talk about beginning to find... So as I, what I found was freedom from that overwhelming fear. I was no longer alone. I had a God of my understanding. I had a fellowship of people that believe in me and love me and want to see me do better. I gained uh, the support of most of my family. And and as I, as I kept on showing up and doing what was right in front of me, so whether you're starting a business or whether you're in a project that you can't go from the starting line to the finish at once. There's a process. 
you have to get ready for the race. You have to stretch. You train. have to train. You have to X, yeah, Y, Z. Training months before you have, if you want to win. Right? You're, you're being coached. Yeah. You're, you're being driven and motivated. You're working out. You're exercising. So in, in recovery, it's no different. You're showing up. You're going to a meeting. You're talking to a sponsor. You're talking to what you know. If, if twelve step recovery is not your jam, maybe it's uh, maybe it's a faith based deal. Maybe it's uh, another fellowship deal where it's science and psychology based. Regardless, the, the first thing you do, you have to show up. The second thing you do is you have to be open and willing to communicate who and what you really are. And anyone I know that when they first get clean, they have no idea who they are. They don't know what they're capable of. They have been in the shadows for so long that they've lulled their self to sleep. They think, you know, I'm doomed to die an addict. My parents were this way. My, you know, Or maybe I come from a good home. And then I'm inferior because I'm not like them. So when I was able to step out and truly own who I am, I was able to overcome my fear of people that were more financially stable than me. You know, I used to have a huge inferiority complex of the wealthy. Or someone that displayed intellectual communication skills better than my own like it was intimidating today I honestly believe that iron sharpens iron so the more people that I associate with that are challenging themselves growing whether it's spiritually or whether it's financially or whether it's insert here one of the reasons I wanted to get you on here and begin telling your story because again if you look at how the episode started just those two things we talk about with your father and then you know, the last time you got high out of a trash can Right, to being, like I said, not just clean, but four years down happy, right? And so able to share this story with a smile. And this is what I was talking about, the hillbilly Buddha. And everything you're talking about, then you just got into, you actually have to accept and like yourself. It's one of the things I really believe after the years of trying to do stuff is that people don't necessarily like or trust themselves. So then they can't like or trust anybody else. And from there, it's, it's hard to have a very true existence. And so, you're always, and so what you're talking about is classics that you know with anybody right whether it's addiction or business or a church right a, a university right a, a team you, you got to show up put in the work you, you say this often i hear you talking to younger people trying to you know just maybe get on their journey to getting clean stuff in here yeah and uh, it's the same thing in anything in life right well the phoenix rises from the ashes that fantastic beast from all the stories from fire and ash rises this beautiful creature and well, it's they use the, the proverbs iron sharpens iron yeah right? and uh you said earlier, a god of my understanding. So this is what the hillbilly Buddha is. You seem, with your acceptance of yourself, I guess maybe, to also be able... You used to almost hate God, right? You were one of these people that... So I, so I hated a very specific version. Now, I have to say that because that's a... Yes, of God. There's a very complicated organ between my head, that's or between my ears, that's my brain. And I will try to rationalize and justify and pigeonhole the concept of God. And we're talking about this huge divine idea that really my little brain has no business comprehending in the first place. The, the beauty's in the journey. And that's actually what it says in the good book, all of them, right? Just about every Man one of them. Man can't understand the ways of God. It, it's not, for me, again, that's, uh, you know, my relationship with my higher power is a relationship like any other. I have to show up. I have to expend time, energy, and effort. If that, not, again, if, you said higher power. What do you mean then, right? If you So for me, you, you referenced my early views 
on, we'll say, the Christian, the Christian faith. Yeah. Right. I ask friends often when they, if we can have this conversation, they obviously believe in a lot, but the idea of God maybe is, do you hate God or do you hate the church? And when you're saying when you're saying that back then, were you saying that you come to Sparta, you just didn't like anything, God included, or the church itself? Well, the, what you thought of it? The the fantastic realization that I'm at today is is I didn't hate God. I hated myself. Yeah. I mean, right. This is what I said most people don't like it. And if you don't, it's hard. It makes it hard to like anyone else. I think it makes it impossible just in physical reality. And this is one simple thing if you change, right? Because if you actually like yourself, you have to accept yourself. What you're talking about is that's why I want to have you on. Like I said, is to be on the journey like you are and find peace. It's hard enough. I tell that you know, I've talked to you about my little sister, you know, being in prison. I remember when she first got out, there's, you know, the unfortunate reality is nobody else is going to care that much, right? They're not going to follow you around and go, oh, my God, it's so great you got out of prison. Now here's all the, right, you know, it's, you're just back to square well. Yeah, that's great. Now pay up, right? I mean, and, and so it, it's hard. It's really hard. I'm still waiting on my parade. I thought when I got clean, I'd have a parade and balloons and everything else, yeah. and it's yet to happen. They've not built a statue of me yet. Yeah. I don't know why, but they just have it. <laughs> you know, and what you're talking about, right, is just humility, ego. <laughs> My dad is laughing with us. We're sitting here in the front of the market. And that's what I mean is, so, again, you, you went from, I didn't let you finish your answer. One, it was a God of the church, and then two, you went from that to, like you said, today with a big smile on your face. Today, I have a great relationship with, you, you use the term of God of my own understanding a lot. So I had to practice. I, I had to figure out that uh, a, a, a wonderful human on the West Coast told me that it was okay to resent God. And it was my concept of God. I, I, I grew up in the Bible Belt, Indiana. And if, uh, you know, you go to a, a Baptist church, Hellfire and Brimstone, and I, and I was literally a scumbag. And I never felt worthy of the love of God just because of how I lived. And that I was beyond it. And so when I, and I tried to assimilate, you know, the many times that I've gotten clean and relapsed, I, I showed up to the churches, I did what the other people did, and ultimately nothing happened. But I, I look at it in retrospect today, and I really didn't put the real effort into it. I, I didn't uh, lean into it with my heart, and I didn't seek my relationship with God like I seek my relationship with my partner in life, my friends, you know, because I, I talk to my partner, I talk to my friends. So if I want a relationship, God, I need I, I need to talk to God, and I need to listen. You know, if I'm in a conversation where I'm doing all the talking, and, and people around me are doing all the listening, it's not a real it's a one sided relationship. So today I spend time in med- meditation, and I I, I seek uh, the voice of my higher power, whatever that looks like. And so when I found out it was okay to resent the God of my understanding, then I could apply the twelve steps to it. And through an inventory and through, you know, a fifth step, I find out that it's okay. But then there's a process for that. And after reconciling and actually making amends to the God of my understanding and myself, uh, that means it's time to give this relationship its due. Time, energy, effort. I'm going to spend time getting to know God. I'm going to put in effort to seek God. I'm going to read some books. I'm going to do some meditation, some other spiritual practices, and I'm going to attempt to find a God that works for me. I'm not saying that any way is the right way. I don't, I, I don't need to. You know what it says in 
Bible and the Quran for that matter. In the Quran it says, you take two steps towards Allah and take one step towards you. You know, Jesus said, knock and I will open, right? I mean, what you're talking about, right, is very simple, you know, classic ways of, right? What? Well, well from the Stoics. The Abrahamic religions, the Stoics. The, the Stoics to, you know, Hindu philosophy, Buddhist philosophy, Christian philosophy, the Holy Spirit's inside of you. The jewels in the lotus. The jewels in my pocket. If I travel inward, I find that peace of God. I, I am the vessel that God inhabits. That spark that animates this body, that animates yours. That's my belief. And for me, it's made it really easy to fall into step and to seek God on a regular basis. I think it's very interesting that you just used the term spark because, you know, God did come to Moses in the form of fire, right? And fire is actually what drives our civilization, you know, electricity. Absolutely. You know, it starts with L, right? E-L. Yeah, we talked about that here. You know, Absolutely. and, and uh, I don't think that's right any coincidence. I mean, that's part of that story, right, is that fire, like a Prometheus story, is so, you know, important to the actual part of the creation of what we think of as human society. Well, I, I talk to the, I, I speak about the broken things, and I, I liken the the idea to a forge and a blacksmith. You know, I am the metal, and first I come in there, and just like when, in, in my recovery journey, I I came in a very unrefined chunk, full of impurities and other stuff. The blacksmith, um, being the god of my understanding, wielded a hammer. That hammer was the 12-step fellowship. The hammer was those individuals around me that displayed traits that I wanted. So I asked them how. Yeah. And as that hammer struck the metal and the fire cleansed it. Because this is not a hands-free, low-risk situation. Stepping out on that ledge and getting rigorously honest with who you are, how you've been, where you are and where you want to go, is no small task. Yeah, no, it's, I love to hear you say that because that's true. One of the reasons I want to have you on to tell this story is it seems simple, right, in hindsight, looking back, and you know, we talk about this just, again, the market, right? It seems like, well... Of course, you kind of think you know it's right, but it, it's years of refining, you know, and just like what you're saying, stepping out, and you know, because when, when you lay it out there, you can also be wrong and called out and told, you know, I told you you weren't good enough, right, you know, and it's really done. So, like everybody loves the success story, but it's really hard to do that. And that's one of, you know, I, I love, you know, just getting your perspective on it. Ideas are great, and, and you know, the, the cool thing is, especially you get around to around this table that we're sitting at today. And, and man, there are so many great ideas thrown around this table. But but they amount to jack shit if there's no action. Yep. And so if it's if it seems insurmountable now, reverse engineer. Break it up into small, manageable pieces. That's why I say what's the next indicated step? Yeah. Well if I want to buy a house, the next indicated step step one would be Maybe I, I speak to a, a real estate broker, or maybe I uh, apply for financing, or maybe I work hard and save a bunch of money. I mean, there's a first step. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, That's and, a great analogy for it. And, and nothing happens overnight. Nothing. 
know, as uh, you've been hanging out a little while now, Corey will be two years in May that he's really been in here. Well, then he's been two years now since they had started, you know, building upstairs. And I was telling him when he first started that one of the things I realized in my younger days, the mistakes I made was I thought a 10-year plan was a two-year plan. True. You know, and where I was thinking about this the other day, I wanted to talk to you about it, that would you say that if you look at where we're at two years into it, 10 years seems about right. If we had just eight years to go with, you know, a guarantee of, that would seem about right. It would seem probably, you know, and you have four years into your sobriety, right, and you've built back relationships, you've done things, it's a different world. Those first days are hard. They, they tend to be the hardest. Yeah, and it's, like I said, you get two years in, now you've really just started the process of, right? Again, nobody, there are no parades for you, sorry to disappoint you. We didn't, Corey and I didn't bring you balloons. So, so four years in, and, and from where I sit, I, I am in awe of, of where I'm at. But really, in reality, as I dug in deeper, I don't want to discourage people, but four years clean, and I'm I'm just crossing the start line. Now I. What do you I, mean now, by that? So, well, like you say, you know, for for a, for an addict to get clean is is a monumental accomplishment. But that's just to not use drugs. Normal people, air quote, don't use drugs. Yeah. Or, you know, they, they yeah. use socially acceptable drugs and they're not committing crimes for their drugs and they're they're living a normal life. So they're yeah. way ahead of the curve. those two factors really are what separate whatever the difference is, right? It's the crime that comes because you can't afford the drug after a while. Right. Because, you know, alcohol is one of the most socially acceptable drugs in the world and can fuck you up. Right? Oh, Good. Yeah, <laughs> Falling down fucked up. Uh, as you know, you know, I'd quit drinking That's a deadly years detox. Ago, but, if yeah. you, I mean, it can kill you. The 20 years before that, I made up for lost time. Trust me. Right. Um, but yeah, right, I mean, as a legal drug, is, again, as long as you're not committing crime, in today's world, thankfully, it's not as hard not to drink and drive. There's plenty of options to not drive if you want to, right? Uber, different things that, yeah. you know, but if you don't drink and drive or fight, right, you can drink really publicly, all, you know, hell within, you know, 10 spots within a couple miles of here. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And, and just get, again, but they look at you a little funny if you're smoking crack on the sidewalk. It's different, for sure, right? And for some reason, like what you're saying, and this also happens with alcohol, but it seems to be a longer-term effect to get to this point, is eventually you get to a point where you just can't afford this $20 a day habit, because that's $600 a month, right, that you have to make. On top of it, that's just you can do your drugs, right? That's not any other stuff. And so you end up committing some kind of crime that eventually gets you arrested, has been my experience with friends and family. Or it gets you destitute. You're a derelict on the streets. You're hiding from everyone. Because I was fortunate. You know, I, I didn't have any real consequences from the law. No, a lot of your friends are right. We sit oh. on this table, right? But you, you managed to escape through. But And I've done the same in my life. Right? I, I tell the story I should be dead in prison. So, Absolutely. And, and, I, you know, so I can synthesize this whole conversation down into a couple things. Key components that ensured my survival and, and actually um, are the reason why I'm here and thriving okay because that's that yeah that's what people want to know that's what the, the, this show is about the podcast is about I want people to be able to walk away from this with real world techniques to apply today you know to again like you said if it's, if it's just if you've been a little way in the journey and you're just looking at yourself like I said just amazed that's how I look at all this shit myself I just look around some days and go Lord I can't believe it the, the, the first part is find your tribe Find, find your people. If you're sitting out there alone, 
there's a there's pretty good chance it's probably your fault. If you're not willing to venture out and to take a risk and meet people, to reach out for help, whether it be a doctor, a fellowship, a church, a synagogue, a mosque, wherever you go, you know, human beings are social creatures. Locking yourself in a closet is not a way to find a way out. Yeah. Communication. Those two things. How do, how do I communicate with myself? How do I communicate with God, my family, my friends, my fellowship? Crucial conversation. Sharing my truth. Not swallowing it, bottling it up, and letting it explode. That's why I'm still here. Without my partner in life, I would be dead. There's no question about it. And she showed me tough love. And But uh, I wouldn't want another one. You know, Lydia's, uh, her and, and my, my friend and brother, his, his actually significant other hosted an intervention for me and and the tears in those two ladies' eyes was just the right medicine I needed to stop. How old were you at that point? Oh, 31 and some change. 32 and some, no, 31 and some change. You've been, you know, living that life for 10 years? Oh, I I lived that life since I was 16 years old. That's 14 years, 15 years. And I'm, you know, we say all that, you know, I I just turned four. I've been a grown-up for four years. Yeah, you've told me this. Like, say, man, uh, for your story, like, say, you told your dad, right, I mean, being murdered and thrown over a bridge, you said once the police, you want, they wondered if you were involved in the whole... That was just their due process. You yeah. know, they had to eliminate suspects. And because of the lifestyle I was living, they they, they looked at me too. Yeah. And ultimately, of course, through investigation they found... Now, ultimately, they didn't find uh, the person responsible. Now, I can say today uh, there were people responsible, my dad being one. His lifestyle led to that environment that ultimately led to his death. Now, that's not the case for everyone. You know, murder is an egregious crime that happens to people, and they have nothing to do with it. But in this case, I know with relative certainty, had my dad not been in active addiction himself, he probably wouldn't have found the people that ultimately ended his life. Sad truth. Yeah. But... Well, that's part of why I wanted you to share the story. That being said, right, with all that, you managed to get through that, right? Get clean. Like you said, you got the perfect excuse... We know people that don't. Luckily, you live through it. I know that, right? That's not a judgment. I just, yeah. Uh, God, I hope these kids, are, you know, are smarter than we were. You know, being from a little bit different generation, it was a wild, wild time. You know, and and it, when it changed, like the, what you're talking about, the the drugs that brought the crime for whatever reason, heroin, meth, right? Like this, when these two had a sweeping impact on society in the last decade, decade and a half. Sure. Right, this has changed. Well, when the dynamic big, of the world. When when the DEA cracked down on Big Pharma and, yeah. the, and the pill epidemic that was ravaging its way through the United States and the world, yeah, well, uh, it opened the door for street drugs. You couldn't get your pills anymore. I mean, you couldn't go to the doctor and have them write you your scripts. So yeah. then, hey. I don't even know anything about myself and take your pills, but that's you know the, the yeah. whole premise of it. And, and it's true, right? I mean, like what you're talking about did happen. That's where my little sister started. I think she just turned 40 the other day, February 7th was her birthday. 
you know, 39 or 40, but you know, she, she was 1982, I believe she was born when she made her 40 now then. And I remember when she was younger, they, second grade probably, they started saying that she needed Ritalin, mm-hmm. you know, different things like this. Again, this was the early 80s when this was just starting. Sure. You know, I was just a couple years older than her, so really didn't have that migraine. And then this went for a decade, you know, I just watched it, that's where I wrote that song and never thought much of it, but... As it uh, unfolded, you're right, and Big Pharma, who's distributing millions upon millions of dollars in pills, and billions, right? I mean, if you look at, like, Purdue Pharmaceutical and Oxycontin. And you're right, when that, and finally, right, I mean, somebody did say, hey, you know, this shit's got to come to an end, right? And, and they started, you know, starting cutting the doctors off. And, and uh, it, it's just such a funky story because it almost seems like you'd be getting into a conspiracy, right? Sure. With it. But it's not at all. I mean, this is a modern case. You know, I mean, you can look up right. I mean, the mo- very modern case in the modern courts, Purdue Pharmaceutical, right? They just settled for billions because the oxycotton, right? And the, which is basically heroin. True. Right. Yeah. And same thing, which ravaged the world. Well, you, th- you just think about the pain, the aches and the pains, the anxieties, the stresses, and there's a pill for all of it. Every bit of it. All you got to do is take this pill. It's part, you know that that was more what the song was about. It, it's part of, this way. It's, you know, it's, in the last decade, decade and a half, it has been a different world when it comes to the drugs and the ravaging of society. You know, it's it was acceptable uh, to get a prescription and go to a doctor. And but Is when that it, you started, uh, no, no. Ultimately, you know. I can't say it was a gateway drug, but marijuana and booze. I mean, of course, I got drugs from my doctor, yeah. but I, I got drugs from the street. It, it was kind of a piece and parcel with the environment that I grew up in and around. It, they, they were always accessible. Yeah. But when they when they took the air quote socially acceptable way out of going and seeing a doctor, it, it turned a lot of people to the dark and surly places of yeah, the world. Yeah, as you're saying, it, it took a ton of people and made them criminals overnight who otherwise right, were operating in society completely normal the day before. Absolutely. You know, uh, to, to feed that, right? Because there, there was an answer for it, right? And, you know... They were ready for it with the answer. Yeah, right? it wasn't hard to find if you, hey, you know, <laughs> feel a little sick, this will do it. This will do it. Yeah. And that's, ultimately, that's what it was. I, I remember... The very first time I used to IV drugs, no pills were available. But there was a sub. I was ask you, how the hell do you get that? Boy? I've never used like an IV drug. If somebody's listening, thinking, you know what? How the fuck do you stick a needle in your arm, right? Like, well, I'll tell you exactly how it happened for me. It was at, at that point in time, I was an addicted pill user, and pills or IV or whatever. What kind of pills? I'm curious. Oh, at, at this point in time, Opana, Oxycontin, they were they were out there. It was still happening, but they, the the well was drying up. And you're addicted. Oh, I, I was addicted. So I had an an opiate dependency that uh, manifested in diarrhea and vomiting, shakes, shivers. Just a, you feel like you're dying. You're not actually you're, dying. You're dope sick. Yeah, I was dope sick. Right. But you feel like you're dying, right? Again, if somebody can't quite relate what that means, basically you just feel like you're fucking dying and you want to die or get high 
You could, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I have the flu that won't go away. There's only one way to make it go away. Actually, two. Not, <laughs> not use drugs for 10 days or uh, get high again. Yeah. You know what's great about that right there? Again, it's what we're ultimately talking about with overcoming. I was thinking about this earlier when you kind of tell one of the stories is that awareness, right? Aware, and it's, again, it's not just addiction. That's one reason I thought this would be a great uh, story for overcoming, right? Because, again, addiction is like anything else in life. Like you said, right? I mean, the principles are there. You have to be aware. And this is, you know, what you're talking about is as you began to become aware that you were the problem and accepted that, right, you were able to take action that changed the course of your life, right, ultimately. And this is why you said here today, right, we can drink coffee, have a good old time. And, yeah, you know what I mean? You have no fear of getting arrested today, right? I mean, right. You have no doubt in your I, mind you're going to drive straight home. I only look in the rear view mirror now. I'm not looking for cops. I'm just backing up. Right. A huge difference. <laughs> that might be the name of this episode. I'm not... I'm looking in the rearview mirror. I'm not looking for cops. I'm just backing up. I'm just backing up. Yeah, and that's a, and so that's why it's. But it's that awareness that you're able to act upon. For right, because being aware of it, you can. I told you this when you were some of the first times we met, and you asked me, "Did you try to reverse engineer failure here?" Right, and I said, "Yes, actually, that's exactly what it was." Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, like I said, that's that experience. But it was an awareness that what were what was not working, you know? Like for me, in the business, one of the things was not working that I didn't identify early. And it's kind of like when you're in addiction, and instead of saying, well, the problem is, because you, you said a minute ago that there's two ways to get over being dope sick. One of them is to not do it for 10 days, right? The other one, obviously, is to get high. You know, so if you find yourself in a spot, you know, and you have to be able to say what did it, when you're in addiction mode, you find any old excuse, like we were saying, right? Is and, and this works, and you be well, you know, I because this, right? My dad got murdered, so it's yeah. okay, right? I, I can't help but that, you know, I was born a fuck up, right? And Absolutely. that, that self loathing is easy to get into, you know. Absolutely. But same thing in business. So if you can't look at it and go, it's not that, it's not that, it's that I'm not taking care of business right here. In reality, that's what the problem is, you know. And the same thing with it's the twelve step. I had never been through it. Um, I told you I'd quit drinking, but I had been with my nephew, mm-hmm. and so I read you know the start most of the big book for him. And as soon as I read the first step, I knew why it worked. You got to admit there's a problem. Right. Take responsibility for that, right? I mean that's yeah. so. That is how you fix it. That is how you overcome things. You know, we talk about self awareness, and that's that's what I strive for. Continue to strive for is. Uh, Gaining a, a deeper understanding of myself, uh, a deeper understanding of, uh, of my higher power, and through that process, I start to look at my environment. I look at what myself goes through, how I think of self, and then I start looking at the people in my environment and wonder if if they do the same thing. And I find that a lot of the traits that I display are human traits, not specific to drug addicts. Yeah. It's a human thing. Yeah. That's why I asked you, why do you think that uh, whatever part of addiction, drugs, you know, again, alcohol, all, all that, it could be anything, right? Not even just, the, but why do those fill that void? You know, these human needs, right? Because it's not just a few, however people got there, right? Whether it was the pills or, you know. We're talking about numbing feelings. We're taking feelings away with a pill. We're taking feelings away with Gambling with sex. And at this, at this moment, you're associating feelings with being negative for what reason? 
Again, just talking, right? I mean, well, I, so, I mean... You know what I mean? You're saying that the feelings are bad, but go ahead. Well, not necessarily bad, because I used when I felt good. Yeah, I love to get drunk when I felt good. I love to have sex when I feel good. I love to go gambling when I feel good. Yeah. So it's, but uh, for me, I noticed the volume of my feelings, especially when they were all internal and I didn't share, I didn't communicate. Right. So they were rattling around in my head all the time. And at that point in time, I didn't have the coping mechanisms to make them stop. I didn't have a meditation practice. I didn't have a fellowship. I didn't have a, a book to read or, or insert coping mechanism here. I didn't know any. I, I knew the streets. I knew how to function there. And that was... So what was the thing that made you say, I finally want to stop you and mention an intervention with friends? You know what I mean? Like I said, if there's a moment in the overcoming, and it's obviously truly identifying what the issues were, right, and working on those issues, the causes, not the effects. But what, what, how did you get the momentum going in the right direction? Uh, like I said, it was... Uh... It was the tears in my partner's eyes, my dear friend's eyes. I had seen those tears so many times, and I didn't want to see them again. I, I had been the cause of so many tears, and finally enough was enough. You know, the, the suicide attempt, I mean, the exact same deal, enough was enough, and I thought that was the way. But ultimately, there was a little more hope the last time I got high. I knew there was a way out. A lot of people have taken similar ways and are now successes. Yeah, which is for you? For me, it was uh, going to treatment. Yeah. Yeah, ultimately, the, the last rehab stay was the last one, knock on wood. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, it was the conflict. There was a conflict there that interrupted my process. And I was confronted with some really, really heavy feelings that I didn't like. And fortunately for me, my, my human instincts was to, you know, fight, flee. And uh, fleeing in the typical fashion wasn't the way, but fleeing to treatment was. Because I could run, and I wasn't permanently running from my problems, because I definitely had to go back and revisit those and make a lot of wrongs right. But ultimately, that initial conflict is, is when I hit my wall, and when I had to figure another way. And for me, that's what it was. That intervention, those tears led to some un some discomfort for a few days, didn't like that, left, hit the streets for six more days, and ultimately, like, enough was enough. I woke up one morning in, uh, in a place I had no business being in, and uh, I was dying. You know, I had died a spiritual death way before this but I was confronted with it in that moment and I, and I, and I wanted to live I, I, I have, I, up to that point I had seen some freedom from, from this slavery that was addiction no. and uh, so I, I, I gave it uh, I gave it my best that time and that was this big brain you got amounts to shit you know a whole lot of ways to get out you know jack shit about staying clean for years at a time. Yeah. And when I, that, that was humiliating. And that led to humility for me. Yeah. So, because then I was able to apply this roadmap that other people 
figured out years and years, decades ago. Yeah. And, and are getting clean and staying clean for the rest of their lives. But I thought I was unique. I was terminally hip and fatally cool is what I was. Yeah. I think it's a great <coughs> spot uh, as we come to here. You know, it's right at an hour, and I like to try to keep moving at an hour. Is just what you were saying that, that reality that you know I don't know shit, right? And, and that is one of the most humbling uh, perspectives to take. But from there, you can begin to get wiser because you realize that yeah, I really don't know. And if I did, I would have more to show for it. Really, right? I would. My brilliant big brain would have displayed a lot of results that and. You know, part of what you're talking about is, again, if you're not willing to listen to others who've gone before you and tell you because you, you think you're some kind of brilliant, right? you know, astrophysicist and that no one else just no, understands it, you know, you're just wrong. You have to figure out the tried and true paths and right and deal with it. It's it's funny as in the end, this, the story is always the same. It's accountability, right? Action. I can be a student for the rest of my life and, and live well. Maybe I'll master, but I don't have to. I keep striving. I keep learning. I don't shut the doors. I keep them open. Yeah. Let it flow in. When you talk about the hillbilly booty, you talked about dealing with emotions earlier, and I asked you, well, what about you said feelings, and your whole thing was you were trying to suppress feelings. I said, so where in your life did you begin equating feelings with terrible, right, that it couldn't be a good thing to feel? Well, I like to feel good. I don't like to feel bad. And if drugs you, was a quick answer for that. Well, and, and, and that's not just for addicts. That's for our society in general. Right. You got a headache, you can not take the pill and have a headache, or you homeopathic remedies. You can exercise, do that, but you have to do an action, and that will change the feeling. And for the, I like to push the easy button. It's much easier to go to the cabinet and put the pill in. And today in my life, it's much more rewarding to live well, drink a lot of water, and that reduces my headache. Uh, what appeases the monster inside of me, what, what quiets the voice, what arrests my disease, is talking to another recovering addict, is praying to a God of my understanding, it's talking to a sponsor, it's talking to a sponsee, it's interacting in my community, like with you gentlemen around this table, like these are all things that uh, keep me clean one more day. You talked about this before, how, you know, it is, people uh, suffer in silence was a saying. Is it in closing up? But a lot of what you're talking about is going into just a lot of things that, you know, a lot of the stuff that we talk about around, you know, the table here is and community development, you know, generational, you know, things that, you know, make up the, the reality of this neighborhood and, well, we what you're talking about is, is starting to, you know, like you say, how do you, how does a person begin to deal with any of that? It's really not something you're taught. Something has to bring you almost strangely to a point of desperation to God of your own understanding of, you know what I mean? It's Well, hopefully people will tune in for our sister podcast, Uncommon Conversations at the Common Market. Right. And, and we can dig in more to, you know, I... I uh, you know, when I, I suffered in silence for so long, I martyred myself needlessly for so long. And that's why I said the other part, you know, my, my tribe is one cornerstone and communication is the other. When I could truly be who I am 
and talk about my feelings, talk about my thoughts, talk about the, the, the shit that rattles around in my head, then it's no longer, it, it doesn't bear the same weight. I'm free. Now, I still have to use tact and, and grace and practice rigorous honesty, not brutal honesty. It's great. I've never heard it said that way. But Rigorous honesty, not brutal honesty. Right. Yeah, it's absolutely possible to weaponize the truth. I don't need to do that. I, I try to do less harm today. What an insightful way to look at it. It's possible to weaponize the truth. Mic drop, right? <laughs> but, uh, you know... When I, I look at the spiritual nature and I, I look at who I strive to be, and I want to remove obstacles, not just for myself, but for everyone I come into contact with. You know, I have a huge heart. I want to love more. And ultimately, I know I'm close to the finish line when I, uh, because the disease of addiction is self-centered nature. And I look at one day, I hope to serve others with the same zeal and fervor that I serve myself. You know, if the mission is for people on a mission, if we were on a mission, what would yours be? To keep doors open for anyone like me. Any human being out there that feels like they're not good enough and they need a tribe. I would be the mouthpiece for millions if I could. Because there are so many people just like you, just like me, that just need a chance. And if ultimately I say all that, we'll synthesize it down. I just want to love as much as possible. I don't want to carry this closed off, small minded view. I've seen beauty in life and it comes in all colors and it comes in all socioeconomic classes and it's everywhere if I know where to look. And, and I just want to be the bridge for people. You know, I, I want to fish for men. I see you are the hillbilly Buddha, right? So, you you named it. I just claimed it. We uh, again, Jim Casadakis, y'all, friend of mine, and we were talking about overcoming today because you do have a hell of a story to have overcome with a, a smile and all that. Right, and be sitting here, like I said, getting talking about what you're going to do to help others. And I see the crew, the tribe you guys have that. He was working really hard to change things, and it is hard, so that's why I wanted you to share your story. Well, Mike, thanks for having me on, and I look forward to doing more of this around the roundtable, and we'll dig in, and hopefully we'll just help some people. This episode of FM Mission was recorded here at the front table at the Common Market, 900 West 8th Street, Muncie, Indiana. So get a hold of us online at Muncie Common Market.